Lord God, thank you so much for this church. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. And not, and not just this church, Father, but the churches throughout our area. We thank you for the unity. We thank you for the love. We thank you for the relationships that we're building. Thank you, Father, for uh, just uh, the move that you have in this area. To, and we invite you to continue to move in a powerful way, Father. We want you to touch lives. We want you to change lives. We want you to touch our lives and change our, our lives. We want you to, to move in our church. And we want you to move in our community in such a way that people are healed, Father, from the things that, that plague them and that separate them from Jesus Christ. And we know that Jesus is the answer, and we pray as a church that you teach us more about how to share him with the, our community around us, and not just to keep him tied up in here inside these walls, Father. Help us to take it out there on the streets. Help us to, uh, to share a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his powerful blood that he shed for us and the sacrifice he made and the, the life that he gives us through his resurrection and through his reign in heaven. And thank you so much, Father, that we have such a wonderful Savior who cares about us so much that he has cleansed us, redeemed us, Father, that we live in his righteousness and not of our own. And so, Father, this morning as we talk about a topic that, that uh, many people struggle with, maybe some folks in here struggle with this, we, we certainly know that there's people outside these doors that struggle with this topic, Father. I pray that, uh, I pray that in one shape or fashion, one way, Father, however we have to do it, that we are simply able to share the message of grace, the message of renewal, Father, the message of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he does in people's lives, regardless of what we've done in our lives, Father. I pray that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts full of compassion, Father, and hands that reach out to people in a way that will be meaningful to them, that we could plant seeds and water them, and that you'll bring forth a great harvest in their lives. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your love and the relationship we have with you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So one of the things that God really put on my heart this year was to preach on topics that are real and applicable to people's lives. And I try to do that anyway. I try to talk about things that you can take and apply. And if you'll notice, a lot of the preaching that I do, probably 75 to 80 percent of it is application. Because I believe if you don't have application with the Word of God, then it's pretty useless to you. And it's not going to be enough for you just to understand what it says, but understand how it actually touches your life, how it impacts your life, and how it, it actually affects your life. And I think there's subjects that maybe we haven't talked enough about in the church and, and, and things that maybe we should talk more about if, if for no other reason than to open our hearts up to reach out and minister to people who are dealing with the different issues that I hope God brings on your heart and my heart throughout the rest of this year. Because there are so many things that people deal with in this world. And sometimes I think we treat it like the Walmart speed bumps. You know, we kind of know they're there for a purpose, and, but we kind of zoom right over them and we don't really spend time to recognize that God has some powerful teachings, and if we look deep into them, and if we'd apply them to our lives, then it brings the healing and the wholeness and the kind of power that we need in our life to make it through daily life. And i got to say that there's a lot of folks today that are not making it in daily life. They just, they just feel like maybe they're just barely hanging on, and maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're just barely hanging on, and if we haven't covered the topic that you need to hear talked about or preached about or shared or, you know, whatever, uh, uh, looking at the scriptures to apply to you, then my invitation stands open to you to share that topic with me. Uh, this morning you'll see a, a sign up here or a, a one of the slides that will actually have a phone number that you can text that into along with questions about what we're going to talk about this morning, and I'll get to that in a moment. But I encourage you to share with me the needs that are out there 
Because we as the church are functioning together as the body of Christ. And, and, and I welcome your input when it comes to things that we need to address for the sake of being compassionate and ministering to the, all the community around us. I think it's so important. Now the topic that we're going to talk about this morning, I really don't think has been talked a lot about in the last 15 to 20 years and maybe even the last 30 years. I remember 20 to 30 years ago, it was talked about a lot. It was talked about with a, a lack of reason, a lack, lack of what I call spiritual common sense. It was a very rigid taught topic. It was a, there was a lot of legalism woven in it, a lot of rule keeping and rule uh, applying and, 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 and just basic legalism when it comes to the topic we're looking at. And I think one of the reasons is because, especially at that time, we were starting to see it gain momentum, and we really didn't know what to do with it in the church. We didn't know how to reach out to it. We didn't know how to minister to it. And so as we many times do in the body of Christ, or really just as God's people, if we fear something, we try to control it. Fear and control go hand in hand. Instead of trying to open ourselves up to see what do the people need that are going through this topic and, and, and struggling with this subject, what, what do they need that, that comes from Jesus Christ that we can pass on to them that will bless their lives and make it better? And of course, I'm talking about the topic of divorce. It's a very touchy topic for some people. And in the body of Christ, we always haven't seen it handled right, shall I say. I think there are some churches that are doing a good job of handling it right, and quite honestly, I have to say that I've seen a lot of grace and compassion in this church towards that. And that better be the case, because I've asked twice in the last couple months, how many of you have either been through or have been affected or touched by divorce, either in your life or close to you, and everybody in here has raised their hand. And so there's no excuse for us not to look at it, except that maybe we may be a little scared about what the conclusions say. And the only times that we're afraid of what the conclusions will say are when we don't apply the grace of Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed for us to that subject. And I need to let you know before we get going that that's true with any subject in the Word of God. Amen? That you've got to apply the grace of God, you've got to apply the blood of Jesus Christ, otherwise you will fail in your understanding of what it's about. And we'll talk about that again in a second as well. But I do believe that a wrong approach in the past has influenced a little bit of even what's going on today. That even though we don't talk a lot about this subject, it still has influenced. Maybe, maybe in the realm of fear, or maybe in the realm of just not knowing what to do with folks who have been through a divorce. Maybe we... we, we don't really know what the Bible teaches about it, or maybe, maybe we're a little nervous because of how we've heard it taught in the past, and we really haven't spent the time to study out of that to see that there is a ministry that is wide open for us today. I want you to know there is a ministry that's wide open for us today. And so I'm not afraid to talk about this topic. You see that I do have the podium here, and one of you all walked behind me and said, oh, he's got the podium out. You know what that means. Yep, you'll be here for about two hours today. Actually, I've got the podium here so that you won't be here for about two hours today. Usually I don't preach with notes, and you know that. Today's more of a teaching style, and, and I'm going to try to stay on target, and I'm going to try to, I, I've purposely not memorized these notes so that I can refer back to them and stay on target, because I do believe it is such an important topic that we need to look at, and I need to be thorough, but I also need to be very clear about what I'm saying this morning. And so to, to, to start off that, I want to start off with at least five points or five basis of foundation before I actually get into what I want to say this morning. Number one, when we're talking about divorce, is that first of all, um, not all divorce, and I think I already messed up the clicker. Start it again for me, would you? There you go. Not all divorce is a sin. Not all divorce is a sin. And for the divorces that are considered a sin, 
it is not the unforgivable sin, okay? There's only one unforgivable sin. It's found in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31 where it says that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is that unforgivable sin. And people say, well, why is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit the unforgivable sin? Well, because the, the Word of God comes to us by the Holy Spirit. And if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you don't believe the Holy Spirit, you say the Holy Spirit's a lie, where else are you going to find the information that leads to Jesus Christ whereby your sins are forgiven? Amen? You can't find another path. The, the truth leads to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit gave us the truth. The Word of God is the truth as given by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if you call the Holy Spirit a liar, if you say that what the Holy Spirit has given us in the Word of God is not true, you have no other source to go to to lead to forgiveness of sins and salvation. Therefore, it is the unforgivable sin. How are you going to find forgiveness in it when forgiveness only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ? And the Holy Spirit leads us to that. So in saying that, divorce is not an unforgivable sin. In fact, I don't care what sin you want to bring up. Where it is a sin, it is never going to be unforgivable so long as you can come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. That is so important for all of us to understand this morning. Second, no one is perfect. No one is perfect. There is not anybody who is perfect. I, I, I've never heard, well, I take that back, one guy was at a men's conference, and Steve Farrar, I don't know if you all know who he is, he was a guest speaker, probably about a thousand men, and he asked, he said, if anybody is here, here is perfect, would you stand up? One old codger kind of stood up, and you can tell he had the sour look on his face, you know? He said, sir, are you perfect? He said, nope, just thought I'd rep represent my wife's first husband, you know? <laughs> Nobody is perfect, okay? And so I don't care what we're talking about, whether we're talking about divorce or the game of Scrabble, you know? I don't, I don't care what it is that we're talking about. There is not one of us that is perfect. And so when we understand that that's the playing field we operate on, that means none of us have a right to be judge and jury over anybody. Amen? That is so important for us to understand that. I'm going to say it again so I can get everybody to say amen. We don't have a right to be judge and jury for anyone. Amen? Instead, what we want to be is the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we see somebody who we believe is in the wrong, the first response that we should have is to share Jesus Christ with them. It's almost like you see somebody on the ground who needs CPR and you go over and say, Hey, breathe. Hey, you should be breathing right now. Unfortunately, you have to get down on your hands and knees, put your hands on their chest, compress, probably even break a rib, and then put your mouth on their mouth and breathe for them. But a lot of times we don't want to get dirty like that, right? And so we just soon back, stand back and go, hey, you need to be breathing, right? And unfortunately, that's the way we treat a lot of different things in life. But I feel like that's the way too many people have treated those who have been in a divorce. Number three, I am not here to condone divorce. God hates divorce. The scripture in Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16 says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. And so I'm not here to condone it. God hates divorce. But God hates divorce just like he hates murder, just like he hates lying, just like he hates thieving, just like he hates gossip, just like he hates anything that he has taught us that he does not want us to do because... Whenever he teaches us something he doesn't want us to do, he is trying to save us from pain. 
He is trying to promote health in our life, spiritual health, relational health, emotional health, even physical health in our life. And those of you who have been through a divorce, you know that there is pain involved in divorce. And God, his desire is to spare you of that. Once you have been through that, God is here to heal you of that. And that's why, on the other hand of it, I would say that God does hate divorce, but God does not hate the person who has been divorced. Amen? Just like God doesn't hate the murderer. God doesn't hate the liar. God doesn't hate the gossiper. God doesn't hate the thief. He may not like what is in their life, but he loves you so much that no matter what it is that is in your life, he gave his son to die for you, knowing that you would go through that beforehand. That, that's a powerful thing to think about and consider, that he knew where your path was going to go. He knew the decisions that you were going to make, right, wrong, or indifferent. He even knew the things that may be decided for you that are out of your control that lead you into a painful situation. God doesn't hate you. God hates the things that hurt us in our life. Very important for us to understand. And, and I think that if we understand that, it will help us to see that, that when God addresses us topic in the Bible, even if it's hard for us to deal with, that really his ultimate goal is that we would come into a relationship with him, that we would connect with his son Jesus Christ so much that the death, burial, and resurrection of his son would affect and bless our lives. Number four. You are going to have an opportunity to text your questions uh, if you have some. Because here's the truth about it. I cannot cover this topic with the two hours that I've been given this morning. I know that you're going to get hungry, so I'm not even going to take two hours this morning. There's no way that I could thoroughly cover this topic in two lessons or in two sermons. I don't even know your, your specific situation. And even if I did... I don't know that I could cover it completely, and, and I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to say that I'm perfect in all of my understanding. I will tell you that I have studied many, 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 many hours on this topic, especially years ago when within the brotherhood there was a lot of controversy about it, and there was a lot of even um, uh, of separation of fellowship over this topic, and, and, and I was struggling with my beliefs and, and, and my understanding of it, and, and people in our family were getting divorced, and my parents had been divorced, and Janet's parents had been divorced, and, and it was just like this tangled mess in my head, and so I wanted to spend the time, and I spent hours and hours, and I'm not going to lie to you, I was kind of shocked at where I finally came out on the other side of. But I can tell you what influenced my final decision wasn't my understanding of the scriptures of divorce and remarriage. It was my understanding of the grace of God. The grace of God. And I got to tell you that I don't even care if I don't have this right this morning. As long as I've got an understanding of the grace of God, I feel good about my relationship with God and anything that I'm going to preach and teach because it is going to be influenced by my understanding of the grace of God. Now, I don't always have that right. But I do believe I've got it right now. I've got a great understanding of the grace of God. And so it influences what I teach, what I understand, and how I interpret the scriptures. And I believe it ought to be that way. And I believe for too long, maybe with even other topics, that that hasn't been applied, you know? That, that there have been people who have, who have studied the word and they come away with this legalistic, even an unrealistic conclusion, with a binding conclusion with a conclusion where it really sets them up to, to maybe, maybe a, a lord over people sometimes or to judge people or, or maybe to make themselves feel better than, than the other person does. And I, I don't know what all the intentions or motives are, 
But I do know that there's been a lot of lack of spiritual common sense and too much legalism included in the topic I'm going to talk about this morning. Number five, my name is James, and I'm a recovering divorce doctrine addict. That used to be me. I used to be very legalistic in my view of divorce. I used to be unreasonable in my view of divorce. I just kind of took what I was taught, and I ran with it, and I built on it. And I'm going to tell you this morning, that is the most unhealthy way to live according to the Scriptures. You need to know something this morning. James Smith is not the final authority on what you are to believe on this topic, okay? I'm going to share a view with you. I'm going to share something that I've concluded as a result of many, 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 many hours of study. But I expect that you will take what I say this morning and challenge it up against what you believe, and then you go on your own journey, if needed, And you come out where you're supposed to come out with God. Now, I will say, I'll go back to what I said a little bit ago, that you must have a thorough understanding of the grace of God. That if you don't have a great understanding of the grace of God, you're going to miss it when it comes to what we're talking about here. You're going to miss it when it comes to what God's intention is in the scriptures. And so you, you have got to be able to understand the grace of God to understand this or any topic. Now, if you do text a question to me, I'm going to try to answer it next week. I may not get to yours, but, but if you have a question, you are welcome to, to, to text it to that number up there. Um, you know, make sure that it's something that isn't just kind of challenging for the sake of challenge, but something you really, really are struggling with or, or, or know. But if, even if it's something that you've just always believed and I contradicted this morning, you are welcome to share it because I still want to learn. I still want to grow. But again, when it comes down to it, I know that the grace of God has got to be the foundation of understanding for what we're going to talk about today. So, with saying that, I want to, uh, I want to, to, to go on and look at some scriptures this morning. Um, again, if I was to really address this or any topic, I could just talk about the grace of God. And I could just talk about how we need to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. You know, who he is, what he has done for us. I believe that that is the cure for those who are too rigid in this topic. That is the cure for those who are too legalistic in this topic. That is the cure for those who are fearful in this topic. I also believe, though, that it's the cure for those who struggle with divorce in their own life. And I just want to say, if you don't hear anything else this morning that I say, if you don't understand any of the interpretations or or the explanations of certain passages that we're going to look at, that the cure for your life, because you have problems and pains and wounds that have come from it. You, you can't go through a divorce without it leaving some sort of a mark on your life. I, I'm not even saying the divorce was your fault. I'm not even going to say that the divorce, divorce was a sin. Just the pure, the pure fact that the divorce exists, that you have dealt with some stuff. It, it affects everybody in your life. You know that. As a child of people who have been divorced, I know that it affected my whole family, not just my parents going through it. And and you know that. And so we all deal with it. And I can tell you that the bottom line of the bottom line is always going to be the bottom line, and that is the grace of God is available to you. And that Jesus shed his blood specifically for each one of you. And if you hold on to that, you'll find joy, you'll find wholeness, you'll find peace, You'll find renewal. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find the power to forgive. And you'll find freedom in Jesus Christ. And that's what we all need. So we join you in that need. Amen, everyone? We join you in that. 
And so we welcome you to, to be in that journey with us. So let's look at a couple Bible verses this morning. We're going to start by looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. And I want to, uh, before we look at a couple of verses on, on what they say about marriage, divorce, remarriage, I want to just kind of give you a couple of very important rules for interpreting Scripture, okay? Number one is that the Bible does not contradict itself, therefore our interpretations should not be contradicting, amen? Therefore, if something we say about the Bible and maybe what a person has to do to quote-unquote get it right, if it contradicts the message of grace, if it contradicts the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work that he did for us on the cross, then it's the wrong understanding. The Bible does not contradict itself, therefore any interpretations or conclusions that we come to should not contradict the Bible. Next is if you have to rely on what is said, not said to say something, then you're going to miss the truth of what is being said. All right? If you have to rely on what is not said in order for it to say something, then you're going to miss the truth of what is being said. And then finally, and I think this is a real important one, because I want to give you some confidence about when you go to the Word of God and how you understand it, is that you can understand the Bible. On average, the Bible is written at a sixth grade level. That's why I like the Bible. I've told you before, my mom said my report card stuttered. It went, duh, 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 duh. That, that's about the best grades I could get in school. But I can understand the Bible. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. In fact, I'm going to tell you my own humble opinion. This does not have to be your humble opinion. I don't believe there is such a thing as a Bible scholar. I don't believe, I mean, there are people who devote their lives to study, and that's fantastic. But if I was ever considered a Bible scholar at one time, I would have to wad up that certificate that I printed off the Internet anyway, and I'd throw it in the trash can because I've changed on my views. And I, I think what happens in our Christianity as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, we, we come to different understandings. Maybe we come to a broader understanding. Maybe we learn through life's examples and through things that we go through how to see certain scriptures a certain way. There are certain things in the Word of God that I can look at, and I may do this tomorrow with the very scriptures we look at here. And because of the Spirit working in my life, growing me, maturing me, helping me in my understanding, that I might arrive at a different conclusion. And guess what? I'm open to that because this isn't a test, okay? It's not a test where you have, if it was, I would do the multiple choice test and just pick C all the way down, you know? It's not a test. It's, it's you on a journey with Jesus Christ, and you're, you're listening to his word. And so you, as you grow, you understand it more. In some cases, you're going to understand it differently. And I think a lot of you all understand what I'm talking about. That's certainly the case with the word of God. And so you need to know that it is written at a level that you can understand. So don't be afraid to get into the Bible and study it. Having said that, let's look at a couple of verses. Let's start with Matthew chapter 5. Verses 31 through 32. And by the way, uh, we're not going to take the time to look at the whole context. You know I'm a big believer in the context. Very important to study the context. But mark these down and you can go back and read them yourselves. But these are verses that have traditionally been foundational for what the church has taught in the past on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. It says, you've heard the law that it says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say to you that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 9. We're just going to read verses 8 through 9 for the sake of time. 
says this. It's kind of the same thing. Jesus replied, because they had asked him about the ability to divorce. He said, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And so right there we see the divorce was not originally intended. However, due to our imperfections, due to our struggles in relationships, God eventually allowed for divorce to take place. But he says, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, unless his wife has been unfaithful. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here's the deal. These verses specifically have been taken, and they've been used kind of like they did in the Old Testament to create laws upon laws upon laws, even though the New Testament is not a law to follow, but they have... Uh, and I say they, the church generally has, has taken teachings out of this that really don't match up with the intent of what's being said. And it doesn't even match up with specifically what is being said. Here's some conclusions that have been come to as a result of these passages. Number one, that divorce for reasons other than unfaithfulness, you are wrong. Now I will say that it's obviously clear in here that unfaithfulness is a reason that God understands divorce. God understands unfaithfulness more than we do. And so he does permit and allow for divorce. He doesn't require it, by the way. And I'm going to dare say doesn't even encourage it, but he does allow for it when someone has been unfaithful in the relationship. Number two, unfaithfulness, this is a conclusion that has been drawn off of this passage. Unfaithfulness is only defined as sexual fornication and it is also called adultery. Hang on to that concept. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Number three, that if you get divorced for any other reason, that you are living in adultery. Especially if you get married to someone else. Or if you marry someone who has been divorced, you are living in adultery. That is a, that is a concept that comes from this passage. Number four, the only way to fix this problem is to either, number one, never get married again, or number two, if you need to, uh, that you need to leave the person that you married and reconcile back with the person that you divorced. So if all these things are true, and if the unsaid needs to be said, then here is really what the verse says that it really doesn't say. If any man divorces his wife for reasons other than fornication, then you're not really divorced in God's eyes, so you must never marry, get married again. If you marry another, you are committing adultery, and you live in that continual condition so long as you are married to the person that you're not really married to in God's eyes. As a result of this, when your ex-wife, who is not really your ex-wife because you're not really divorced in God's eyes, gets remarried, but of course she's not really married in God's eyes, she is now committing adultery too. And so is the one who married her, and they live in that condition unless you both, both leave those marriages and reconcile. That's like, what? I go back to that rule that says, if you have to rely on what is not said to say something, then you're going to miss the truth of what is being said. You're going to have to redefine certain words. You're going to have to come up with conditions that exist and add eternal qualities to them that the Scripture doesn't add to them. So basically, you're going to have to insert meaning that really was not intended in the Scripture at all. And I know some of you, especially those of you who are younger than me, I never thought that there would come a time in my preaching when I'd say that. Some of you who are younger than me are probably going, what? What? I mean, what? 
I don't even, this isn't even making sense to me. And why would we even really be talking about this? And, and God bless you for that. Although, on the other hand, we haven't talked enough about what is true and what the scripture does say. We've kind of avoided these scriptures altogether for the last 15 to 20 years. But beyond that, this is kind of what was taught by a lot of preachers and a lot of pastors and a lot of churches. And this is the standard that was held. And what we find is that there's this unreasonable expectation, this unreasonable um, holding people to things that, that really doesn't make a lot of sense. And like I said, you have to add to the passage in order to be able to come up with that conclusion. Why do we talk about this? I remember when I was a young man, I was probably about 14 years old, and I had a friend that this family had come to our church and and, and they had a 14-year-old in this family. And, man, we got along great. And I really, really enjoyed them being there. And, and their family decided that they wanted to become members of our church. So our pastor sat down with the family, and they had three kids. Like I said, my buddy was one of them. And, and he was talking to them about their desire to be members of the church. And, and they had been married 20 years. And, and the topic came up that one of the, the two in the, in the marriage had been divorced years ago. And our pastor very politely said, the conversation is over. You can't be members here. Thank you for asking. And I was kind of shocked, you know. I thought, so what's the answer? And I remember later in life when I became a preacher, and my preacher there, a pastor there, was still a pastor. So we had lunch one day, and I said, can I ask you something? I said, I remember years ago, and I said their name, and I said, when they, when they came and they sat with you and they wanted to be members, and he said, well, I, I told them that they actually could be members, but in order for that to happen, that she would have to leave him and she would have to go back to her original spouse. How do we, how do we come up with things like that? So what you're saying is that, that, that really there's more to the scripture than what we see here. I, maybe I'm not smart enough, but I didn't hear Jesus say that, that when you divorce a person, but you're not really divorced, and then you marry someone, but you're not really married. And I didn't hear him say that you have to, to, to divorce to make the divorce right. It, it, just, it all gets so confusing, amen? And, and when it gets confusing, when it becomes this tangled web that we weave, and believe me, there was a time where I bought, man, I was just weaving right away because that's what made sense. But when you step back and look at it, you go, wait a second. You hold that up to the grace of God and the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. And, and, and here's a couple of the problems that we have. First of all, some definitions of the things in here that we look at. But first of all, just the definition of grace. Just the understanding that when, when the grace of God touches your life, you are justified. And, and I love to say that it's justified, never done it. And so my sins are washed away. If it was a sin, whatever it is, this, these consequences that man comes up with to try to make it right, I'm not going to listen to man. I'm going to listen to my Savior who says, whatever it is that you're dealing with, I took it to the cross. And so I don't expect you to. I expect you to hand it over to me, let me do the work that I came to do, and live your life in forward momentum, with forward motion. There's a wrong definition of what repentance is all about. Repentance is not repayment. Repentance is not going backwards and fixing all the things that are behind you. We'll look a little bit at 1 Corinthians 7 next week, chapter 7. There's a great verse in there that says, Remain in the condition in which you came to Christ. When you come to Christ, he doesn't expect you to go clean up everything behind you. He wants you to move forward. He wants forward momentum in your life. That's what repentance is all about. And so if you have divorced one 
and you have married another, it's not going to fix it for you to divorce this one that you married and go back to this other. That's just not going to work. In fact, the scriptures are pretty clear that you can't. You see, marriage is not a New Testament teaching by itself. It is a biblical teaching. It's probably one of the only things that we can say is not relative to New Testament or Old Testament. Marriage was established in the garden. And so from the garden on, there was an understanding and teaching about what we are to be for each other as husband and wife and what that relationship and the sanctity of marriage looks like. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, it's a pretty powerful passage where, oh, let's see, let's go over here, where it says this, Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. When she leaves his house, she is free to marry another man. What? Why? Because they're divorced. She's not married to the other man. He divorced her. He, he, he ended the relationship and put her out. He says she's free to marry the other man. Now, it says this, but if the second husband also turns against her, writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away, or if he dies, the first husband may not marry her again. Now, the reason for that comes down to this. When you marry someone, you establish a covenant. When you divorce each other, there is still the potential, there's still the possibility that covenant is not necessarily destroyed. But when you marry another, you have started a new covenant with someone else. That covenant with the other is not to be established because it doesn't exist anymore. And you don't go back on your covenant in that respect. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, so let me go over here again. Talking about repentance. What about the woman who was caught in adultery? You remember this, the case where they came and they brought her in front of Jesus and, and they said, you know, she was caught in the act of adultery and, and, and the law of Moses says she's to be stoned. And, and they said, you know, what do you say? And Jesus said, that's right, it does. So how about he who is without sin cast the first stone? You remember that one by one they went away and at the end of this, this uh, situation, there's Jesus and this woman who had been caught in adultery. And he said, woman, isn't there anyone who condemns you? And she said, no, Lord, they're all gone. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That goes back to that concept of forward momentum. He didn't say, go fix your mistakes. Go do this or go do that. He didn't give her a list of things that she had to accomplish in order to get it right with him. He extended his grace to her right then and there and said, go and sin no more. He set her free, you see? He, he gave her forgiveness right then and there. I wish, that we could, I wish that we could get that concept about anything in our lives. For those of you who have been through divorce, I wish that you could get that concept. I wish that you could get a hold of that. For those of you who have made any other mistake, you go ahead and list it because they're all equal in the eyes of God. Amen? I mean, I, I guarantee you I can name off mine and, and you'd sit there and go, oh, 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 you did that. You know, yes, I did. And the cool thing about it is the blood of Jesus Christ is just as powerful for my sins and my mistakes and the things that have happened in my life as they are for yours. If we could get a hold of that, the, the power that we would have not only to live life, but then to let others live life. And we wouldn't impose crazy interpretations of scripture upon them we wouldn't demand things that really 
don't make sense. You know, going back to that, that situation where my, my former pastor had, had, had told that family they couldn't be a part of that church. Think about the devastation they felt. They, they just heard a man of God say, you have to leave each other. You've been married 20 years. You've got three kids together. But that doesn't matter. You made a mistake over 20 years ago. You're going to pay for it. And you're going to fix it. You fix it, then you can come back. Really? How are they going to come back then? You want her to come back with the husband that she left over 20 years ago, got reconciled? You want him to come back with the kids? You want them all to come back and be some big happy family? You know, what, what do you do there? You see, the things that we start demanding and expecting of each other, you know what the problem is? We demand and expect anything of each other. That's not our job. Our job is to take care of, first, me before God. I'm responsible for me before God. Even as your pastor, I, I'll tell you things and I'll share things with you. I'll share my heart with you. I care about you and I believe that I'm charged by God to say things to you and to encourage you and to teach you and to preach to you and to warn you and, and to, to, to guide you and to counsel you and, and whatever you'll let me do. I mean, I, I am here to help because, because we're all in this together. And so I, I feel that burden to reach out to you, and, and if there's something that you're going to do, and, and I see you heading for a train wreck, man, I don't want you to be in a train wreck. And so, with all my heart and my love for you, I will say something. But at the end of the day, you're big boys and big girls, and you have a decision to make. I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going I'm to have compassion for you, and I'll still minister to you and serve you, but you, you, have, you have a decision to make. And, and when it comes to doctrines like this, you need to know something, that just because I say it or just because the church says it doesn't make it so. You see, you have a responsibility to go to the Word of God. And when you come away with an understanding, you have a responsibility to live by that. But let me warn you about something. If you're living by this system that is really impossible to keep, that really is unreasonable, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't really jive with the rest of the Word of God, especially the grace of God and, and how, how Jesus affects our life, then you really need to stop and slow down, reread it, and hold it up against the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross. Otherwise, you're going to miss the whole meaning of what he's trying to say. Let me, let me address a couple of things before that. I, I think that, before we get to the closing, um, I think that a wrong approach has caused actually more problems in divorces than it's helped. And, and I say that because legalism never helped a situation. Read through the whole Old Testament. Did, were they ever satisfied with just the law that God gave them? No, they added laws. They added laws on top of the laws and made life even more complicated for people. And by the way, the more laws you add, guess what? The more laws you're going to break. And I believe that instead of offering healing to people and wholeness to people, that we have actually perpetuated the problem of divorce today. Did you know that the average marriage today in America lasts eight years? Eight years. You know that 40% of divorces, or 40% of marriages end up in divorce right now. 60% of second marriages end up in divorce. 73% of third marriages end up in divorce. Now, that doesn't have to be that way. You, whoever, you, you're married to someone right now, if you allow the power of God to work in that marriage, then I don't care what the percentages say, amen? I don't care what the statistics say. But the problem is, is we have, and I say we generally, okay? One of the things I have to appreciate about this church is that I haven't really seen a judgmental attitude in this. A lot of churches, 
they have not only maybe not let them be members, but if they do let them be members, uh, they, they kind of give them a limited membership, if you will. You know, you can, be, you can be a member of our church, but you can never be a pastor. You can never be an elder. You can never be a deacon. You can never be a Bible class teacher. You can never, you know, who are we to set up this system of if you've got this specific thing in your life that, that, that we may not even know all the details about, whether it is a sin or not. Like I said, not all divorces are sins. But if you've got this in your life, that you've got this scarlet letter that you're going to wear, and, and even as a member of our church, and you're going to have limited citizenship. Come on in. Please tithe. We want your money. But we don't want you to serve in certain ways, okay? Really? So what you're saying is the blood of Jesus Christ can only penetrate our life to a certain extent if we've got certain sins in our life. And I'd say that's not the case. I'd say no matter what your sin is or what my sin is, that if you're disqualified from being a pastor, an elder, a deacon, a Bible class teacher, or whatever, then brother, I am too. Because I don't have any better of a life than you do. I am in the same need of Jesus Christ as you are. And we've got to get a hold of that. We've got to get a hold of that. Because a lot of you all in here have been through divorce. And I want you to know that you still have a ministry. I want you to know that God knew what you were going to do and go through or what was going to be done to you before it even happened. And he still brought you into this church anyway. And we as the body of Christ have to rally around each other and say, listen, that may, that may, this sounds crazy. I know it's crazy, but God has this, has this permissive will. And he allows things. It's like he puts his arm around your life and says, oh, I don't want that to happen, but I'm going to let it happen. I know I can use it. I know I can use you after you've been through it. It's a crazy, so you say, what, God wanted that to happen? No, you didn't hear me. I don't want that to happen, but I know, I know that I can use it. And you'll survive it, and if you'll let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse you from all sin, from all heat, you know, problem, if you'll, let, if you'll let my son heal you, then I can use you to reach out to others who don't know anything about him. And if we'll have that attitude in the church, and we'll say, hey, I don't care who you are, where you've been, the blood of Jesus Christ takes care of that, you've got a ministry. I'm proud of this church. You, you've got a, a youth and worship pastor who's been through divorce. And, and that's one of the first things that impressed me about this church, is that you didn't kick him to the curb. You should have kicked him, but not kicked him to the curb, but for other reasons. I, I'm, I'm proud of you for that. I, I could say that, that there is probably one in a hundred churches within a radius that would still continue to allow him to serve. To use his gifts. Just because he's been through that doesn't mean that he lost his gifts. Amen? In fact, I think one thing that you find with folks like Sean and folks like you who are sitting out here, and I hope this is ringing true with you and you're going, okay, I'm not damaged goods, is that you still have a ministry, in fact, because of how great, God, and I'm going to say it, how weird God works sometimes, you even have a more powerful ministry because you understand people. You understand people who've been through divorce better than I can. I've been touched by it. I've had friends who've been divorced. I've got relatives who've been divorced. My parents, you know, people around me, but I've never been through it. I, I, and so there are things that you'll understand about it that I never will. And so I would gladly step aside to allow you to reach out to somebody who, who, who needs somebody who understands. That's actually the greatest level that compassion uh, um, works is when we understand someone in the things that they're dealing with. 
And so there's a lot of power in that that I think we're missing out on. And there's a lot of healing that we've missed out on. Because we haven't handled this topic right, or maybe because we've been too quiet about this topic. We haven't said enough that empowers people to heal when it comes to their relationship with God. Real quickly, let me just address a couple more things from that passage, and then I promise that we'll close. Thank you for being patient and giving me this time. We're running a little bit over, but I promise we'll wrap this up soon. Number one, divorce is not a continual condition. It is an action that takes place. Adultery is not a continual condition. It is an action that takes place. So what I mean by that is it's the same phrase and verbiage in these verses. The exact same tenses. And I, if you know much about what language the Bible was written in, it was written in the Koine Greek. It was the Greek of the marketplace, the common man's language. It's very tense-oriented. In other words, here's, here's how the tense works with he who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. It is the same as saying he who points the gun and pulls the trigger shoots the bullet. Now, Jason, where's Jason at? Hi, Jason. Jason is a lot smarter than he looks, I promise you that. And Jason and I have shot a lot of guns together. And Jason, would you agree that when you pull the trigger, the hammer hits the primer, the primer explodes and lights the powder on fire, the concussion from the powder burning launches that round out of that casing and that it is a single action that it doesn't keep happening, correct? Unless you're like me and you can shoot long, long distances, right? Yeah. But then it eventually comes to rest on its target, right? So why is it that we would take a verse and say, he who points the gun and pulls the trigger keeps on shooting the bullet? It's just, it doesn't make sense. And this is the same tense to say that, that he who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And so there is, not a con there is not a continual condition that you live in. It is an action that took place. It's on your timeline, okay? But it doesn't color the rest of your timeline. And so you are not stained perpetually. That's a fancy way of saying it doesn't stick to you, okay? It happened, okay? And, and so find what you need in Jesus Christ. He, he's there and he's offering it, but, but it doesn't, you're not, carrying around this big red A, all right? You don't breathe blue air from now on. You don't have something different about you that nobody else has. It is not a continual condition. And the only reason I'm saying it is because the verbiage and the tense of this phrase in the, in the scriptures does not support that it's continual. And so you are not tainted. You are not damaged goods. It is simply an action that took place in your life. Um, and, and even if it was, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 through 9, let me see if I've got it up here. No, I don't. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 through 9, I'm going to go ahead and read this, so bear with me, okay? Because this is one of my favorite passages because it describes conditions that Jesus Christ saves us from. It says this, Do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or are greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. You were once like that, 
But you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Sometimes I wonder, maybe we should just go right through. I was talking about, you know, wanting to talk about things that we need to preach about that, that people, people really have to deal with. These are the things that people deal with. And the cool thing is, is that no matter which of those or any that wasn't mentioned in here, if, if that's in your life, there is an answer. You're not doomed, you see. Your road is not a dead end. Jesus Christ stands right there in your road, and he says, you come to me. You come to me, and I'll take care of this, and that stuff won't stick to you. There is an answer. There is healing. There is wholeness. He's there. His name is Jesus. If we'll grab a hold of that, then we won't feel like we are damaged goods. Number two, adultery keeps being talked about. Adultery is defined, and I think you've actually heard me talk about this before in our Wednesday night class, as the breaking of a covenant. Adultery is the breaking of a covenant. If you replace, anytime you see the word adultery with breaking the covenant or being a covenant breaker, then I think that you'll see it's an action that happens within the heart. Um, it, it, is, it is something is not automatic at the action of fornication. It's not automatic at the action of sexual immorality. It's not automatic at the action of unfaithfulness. When did Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 19 say that it takes a place? It takes place when there is a new covenant formed with somebody else. You only have one covenant with one person at a time. You're only married to one person at a time. In order for you to marry someone, the covenant is absolved with the other. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants us to be covenant keepers, not covenant breakers. And I would say the biggest problem in a whole marriage, divorce, remarriage situation is probably got to be the breaking of a covenant. Because the more covenants we break, the less we will take serious covenants. And that's generally speaking. You may not be that person. But I can tell you this. God wants us to be covenant keepers. We have a covenant with Him. And when we get married, we have a covenant with each other. And so right now, I'll say to you, I don't care what's behind you, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, what, I don't, I'm not even going to talk about that. I'm going to say that if you are in a marriage right now, that is a covenant, honor that covenant. And know that with God and your covenant with God, your covenant with your spouse, regardless of what the situation is, can remain and be strong. And God wants you to save that. Now, if, you, if you've been through a divorce and then you married someone else, you, you, when you married someone else, you, you ended the opportunity to go back and repair it with that other spouse, okay? That's what Deuteronomy chapter uh, 24 was talking about. It, it's over. Until you do marry someone else, you can go back and repair that. I know it'd be tough. You may not even want to. I'm not dealing with that this morning. I'm dealing with the condition that we live in. The word adultery means covenant breaking. And you young people, you hear me on this. God wants us to be covenant keepers, okay? When you get married, you don't take marriage lightly. You understand that it's a covenant. It's a covenant before God. And, and, and it'll bring more pain into your life. And you can ask any of the people who've been through divorce. They'll tell you. They're honest people. They'll say, man, it, there's some pain involved in it. And, and we would love to spare you from that right now. The, the, the statistics say that if you're a child of someone who's been through divorce, your, your chances go up of having... I'm saying, let's, let's ignore the statistics. Let's look at the Word of God, and you just understand that God wants you to be a covenant keeper. So therefore, the best way is to don't enter it lightly. 
There seems to be this common understanding these days that you can just kind of get married. If it doesn't work out, you just get divorced and go on. The problem is, is the wounds that that leaves in your life and the scar tissue that that leaves in your life. And, and I, I was talking to someone recently. I said, you know, it's kind of like, like taking that piece of tape and you put it on your arm and you pull it off and then you, you put it on another spot on your arm and you pull it off again. Pretty soon, it's hard to make it stick, right? Well, that's kind of way a covenant is. So, so be renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ and take the covenant that you're in seriously right now. Say no to divorce, okay? Say no. Say it's not an option anymore. It's off the table. Where I am right now, I'm seeking to be who God has called me to be, and so it's off the table. And I'm going to take my covenant very seriously. A covenant, when it's broken in adultery, is an action that takes place within the heart, and it's an action that takes place when you form that new relationship. And let me just say this that I have, I have met some people who got divorced and they went through a very trying time and then they actually got it back together. And that's a pretty powerful story. That may not be your story, but I'll tell you when it happens, it just proves that it's not over until it's over. What this scripture teaches, though, is that once it's over and you have married somebody else, then it's time to move forward and keep that covenant because you have committed adultery. You broke the covenant before you, and God wants us to keep our covenant. So uh, I want us to be clear about that. I, I told you that this morning I'm not here to condone divorce, but I'm also not here to condemn the person who's been through divorce. I think it's a very painful thing. It's a painful thing that affects the lives of everybody who is connected to it. it it's something that we all see and deal with, and we all feel in some way, shape, or fashion. And it's something that I believe we as a church need to talk a little more about so that we can be more open to ministering to people who have been through a divorce or who are going through a divorce. Maybe even we would talk about it enough to where we can get on the front side of it and help save marriages. You know, one of the problems we have is too much of minding our own business. You know it? We mind our business so much that we, we let people go through things and we stand back afar and we say, oh, I'm glad that's not me. Or, or boy, I wish I could do something for them. And, and we don't, we don't uh, I don't know, maybe you'd call it meddling. But I call it caring, where we need to be there for each other. If we're really going to be a family, we need to act like it. Amen? And so we need to reach out to each other. And, and when people have been through something, such as divorce, we need to find the grace of God to be able to share it with them. And let them know that there's still hope. That there is forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. There is wholeness. There is cleansing. There is healing. To you who have been divorced, I know that, that you carry certain wounds and, and, and some of those things that maybe cause you to have a self-esteem problem or certainly make you feel like you have uh, limited membership in a church. I want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, you're not limited by anything except for your own stubbornness not to let Jesus do what he came to do. I can't do that for you. I can keep telling you over and over, let him do what he came to do, but I can't do it for you, and I'm just going to encourage you to do it because his invitation to you is the same invitation to me, the invitation that we need to come to him, to cast our burdens on him. Anything that is behind us, to give it to him and let him do what he needs to do, what he came to do, what we need him to do to find that wholeness. Let me share this passage with you and then we close. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, 
Because I am humble and gentle at heart, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. I'm going to pray in a second here, and then uh, I asked uh, I asked Sean to sing a specific song. We don't really do specials around here much, but you can kind of consider this a special. I asked him to sing a song. No, it's not going through the big D and don't mean Dallas. All right, everybody. It is a powerful song that I think those of you who have been through divorce really need to pay attention to the words. <clears throat> and I'm actually going to give you permission to not sing during this song. I would love for you to sing if it's in your heart, you do it and sing out with all your might. But if you need to just read the words on the screen, I would highly encourage and beg you to do that. The message is very powerful. It's a message that tells you to let your heart kick back into gear and start beating again. To stop letting things hold you back from, from feeling freedom and forgiveness and the grace of God. That, that you need to know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves you so much that you can't do enough wrong things to make him love you less. You just can't do it. And I want you to know that the same thing comes from us, especially, I, I know I can speak for myself, that I, I love you, I love you so much regardless of what's in your life. Now, I may love you enough to, to say some challenging words to encourage you on the right track, but I love you nonetheless. Don't ever, don't ever not think that. But when it comes to your relationship with God, if you've been feeling held back, if you've been feeling penalized, if you've been feeling like you've got this big letter A on you or, or like you've got limited citizenship in the kingdom of God, you need to stop that. And you need to welcome the blood of Jesus Christ in your life and the grace of God. And I, I encourage you to do that this morning. If you need to come forward during our song, this song that Sean's going to sing, I, I, I want you to do that and know that uh, there is no judgment here. There is only that hand-in-hand -hand walk that we all have on the path that leads to greater healing in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we come before you this morning, I just want to say a special prayer, Father, over those who have been through a divorce. Father, I, it is not what, uh, what is dreamed of or desired from day one. Nobody uh, wakes up one day and says, uh, that's the kind of marriage I want to have is one that, that fails. And so, Father, with, with, that, with that issue, with that situation, comes people who are suffering, Father, from pain, from problems, from wounds. Uh, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's feelings of failure, Father. I, Father, I don't know exactly what it is that they feel, but I do know that you have an answer for them and that the answer is found in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross for them. And so I pray, Father, that everyone in here, and even if it's not a divorce situation, maybe, maybe someone's feeling, feeling that pain from other things in their life. Maybe they've made some other bad choices or some committed some other things, Father, that, uh, that, that have just plagued them and held them back from feeling like you love them, from being able to love you completely, Father, from feeling whole and clean. Father, I know that you don't want us to walk around feeling like we're damaged goods. And then we want to find that wholeness through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I pray for that this morning. And I pray that if you're in that situation this morning, that right now that you'll just speak to God and maybe you'll pray a prayer that sounds something like this, where you'll just say, oh God, I just pray for forgiveness in my life, for wholeness, for cleansing, and that you clear the path that's in front of me so that it leads right to Jesus Christ, and I can embrace who he is and what he has done for me. And, and that you would spend time this morning just really focusing on, on accepting what it is that he offers. And God, we thank you for offering so much to us 
that costs so much that you gave so freely. I pray that we use it in our life. In Jesus' name we pray.